0: So it's going to be mainly focusing on the bacterial infection in adults population with HIV. Having said that, you need to remember that the bacterial infections are the leading cause of death in children of HIV. And also sometimes in future, if I find time, I might really debrief Whatsoever my knowledge is about the HIV in pediatrics because it's completely different from the HIV in adults. What you remember for some time, for instance, immunoglobulin therapy was the standard treatment for the children with HIV. But tonight, my focus is going to be bacterial infections, serious bacterial infection in people with HIV. Okay. Let me present a few cases. <laughs> so this is 32 year old man uh, with CD4 cell of 93 and plasma viral load of 100,000. Okay. Never been on ARB. And then presents to infectious disease clinic right here with cough for 3 weeks and fevers to 100.2 and progressive weight loss and occasional hematemesis hemoptysis and then I will show you the chest x-ray but before I am showing you the chest x-ray I would like like one of you to Tell me what do you think. A very low CD4 cells, very low. Is 92, 93. And then persistent fever, weight loss, cough for three weeks. And then the patient has also bloody sputum. great, uh-huh, okay, so TB, I buy that, mm-hmm. and pneumocystosis, with hemoptysis would be extremely unusual, I'm sorry, okay, tumor, but three weeks, you would say, would be very unusual, particularly the talk tonight is about bacterial infections of the, <laughs> of the AIDS people so let me show you the chest x-ray and this is the chest x-ray and if you look very closely then you can see there is a big cavity here with air fluid level so it's a huge cavity and then we say really this is TB how come tuberculosis can be so destructive in somebody who has 92 of the CD4s because you remember, destruction in the process of TB is very much depends on the CD4 cells if you have CD4 (coughs) cell of 400, 500, 600, you may have habitation but when you have CD4 cell of 93, there is no hypersensitivity of the body uh, toward any antigenic epitopes of the mycobacterium so even immediately when you say hemoptysis Then we see for cell 93, you exclude tuberculosis. TB would be hemoptysis when there is granuloma and there is cavitations. Okay. Then you may say probably the patient has bacterial lung abscesses. And the patient has aspirate and obviously the patient has big cavity. The patient has the air fluid level and then if the patient has flow level, then obviously it could be bacterial infection and lung gaps You may get hemoptysis, sure. You may get shortness of breath for three weeks, sure. All of those things are possibility. But please never forget when we have the C4 cell of so low. Whenever you think of TB, you need to think of also other fungi. Aspergillosis moves in. Then cryptocorpus mopsin, histop coccidio Depends on the ecology of the microorganisms and in the environment that a patient is living on. Then, and then question is basically what you would like to do next diagnostically and also therapeutically. Okay, so let's see. Differential diagnosis of the cavitation in the lung in the setting of the HIV is TB, pyogenic bacterial pneumonias, uh, particularly a staff, and then you can see close to a staff is pseudomonas aeruginosa. Let me tell you only one fact: as the CD4 cell in the setting of HIV decline, the usual bugs they go away and very unusual germs, you are popping up In very early phase of the HIV, you are dealing with ordinary balls, like Haemophilus influenzae, Estreph pneumoniae, Estreph group A. But when you get to the CD4 cell of 50, then staphylococcus and Pseudomonas aeruginosa would be the dominant microorganism in the people with HIV. So you can see the shift of the germs As the body immunity declines, a new source of the microorganism are dominating the body of the patient with HIV. And then here you can see rhodo, rhodococcus equi. What that means? Rhodo means red. So, it's a cocobacillus, which is red, and is coming from the folds, coming from the equi. And it's the most common cause of the bronchopneumonia in horses, and is loaded everywhere that you have any sort of the animals, cattle, for instance. I would comment on that, and then I already mentioned about cryptohisto and aspergillosis. For many years, we were taking aspergillosis in HIV-positive population depends on the CD4 cells. I'm sorry, depends on the neutrophil count and they are not going to come down with aspergillosis if they are not in neutropenics or they are not on corticosteroids. The recent literature disproved that belief. Aspergillosis may come when the CD4 cell is very low even if the patient is not neutropenic. So then you remember, in the setting of HIV, the risk factors for aspergillosis are going to be one, neutropenia, Second, if the patient is taking corticosteroid for any reason, and the third, if the CD4 cell is below 100. So, this patient could have aspergillosis based on pure low CD4 cells. Okay, CBC showed 5700 white cells, and the sputum showed partially acid fast cocobacilli, and they were non-branching. So what that means, uh summit. If this is partially acid fast, so can you give me only two groups of microorganisms that you're acid fast positive, or partially acid fast positive, or acid fast positive. So one is going to be micro bacteria. Obviously micro you're acid fast positive. And the second group are going to be um nocardias. But what is the difference here? What's said in this slide that rejects the nocardia? Uh, is it nocardia mostly the cells? Uh, okay. okay. And branches. Okay. This is non-branch. So, nocardia is branch. But this is non-branch. So now you need to add to the list of differential diagnosis so far, whenever you have acid fast positive germ acid fast positive germ not the yeast or not the cyst because that would give you completely broader a spectrum of the differential diagnosis. For instance if I say acid fast cyst what is going to come up? Cryptosporidium, Isospora. those are the the cysts of those microorganisms are acid fast positive but this is the germ. Acid-fast positive. There are three group of germs: mycobacteria, nocardia, and rodococcus. So this group, Rhodococcus equi, mycobacteria, and nocardia, they are acid-fast positive. Nocardia is easy because it's branching. If it is not branching, there's not going to be nocardia. So for those of you, just let me only give another complex case. If you have a branching microorganism which is gram-positive but acid-fast negative. What is the name of that germ? Actinomyces. actinomyces, actinomyces. Actinomyces, actinomyces means something that looks like mycosis, like the fungus. Actinomyces, mycosis. But is wrong term because it's the anaerobe. but is branching but is not acid-fast positive okay but this one look very carefully here the sputum is partially acid fast coco non-branching and blood cultures is growing also gram positive rods so you are dealing with the gram positive rod which is the acid fast positive and is also growing in in blood and this is classic description uh, 40 uh, Rhodococcus equi and we are learning even every single day more about this germ in a HIV positive population. The take-home message, if you look at the chest and you see cavitation and the city 4 cell is so low, cannot explain destruction of the lung tissue by mycobacterium, you need to move in Nocardia and Rhodococcus. Please do not forget these two germs in people with HIV. Nocardia is acid fast positive, is branching, but rhodocopus is acid fast positive, but is non-branching. Somebody t- can tell me classic example of Nocardia of the lung because this is very frequently you may see, but somebody tell me, Because, you know, people from Yale, they need need to know a lot about nocardia because Andrew described the original description of the nocardiosis in human. And Andrew was the head of the infectious disease at Yale for many years. Okay. Nocardia, never forget the brain. Okay, what is that? Brain Brain abs almost 70, 75% of people with neocardiosis, they do have also brain abscess. It's such a bug that gets to the lung, disseminates itself all over. And under your deep study, I'm looking to the CT scan of the people with pulmonary neocardiosis, 75% of them, they did have the cavitation in the lung and in the central nervous system. So, if somebody puts a cavity in the central nervous system, a cavity in the lung, put your money on, no So, lung abscess and brain abscess. Okay, then this one grows, as I said, in in the farms. So, it's the animal germ, particularly is the horse germ. And then if the patient comes across to this germ and the patient is suffering from AIDS and the CD4 cell is very low, then the germ goes to the lung, goes to the lymphatic system, and amazingly behaves like mycobacterium. Amazing. We published a paper many years ago with one of my residents. We had three patients with Rhodococcus equi in immunocompetent hosts. One had completely a prisoner, young prisoner, 25, 26-year-old prisoner, who presented with the big lymph nodes in the axilla. We did a biopsy, showed granuloma. Our pathologies read it as the TB but couldn't see mycobacterium we sent it for culture to the CDC and CDC identified the one. and the second patient I think was summary on hemodialysis and the patient had uremic pericarditis and for many weeks we didn't tap the pericardial fluid because we think this is the pericardial effusion in the setting of the uh, hemodialysis but finally that we did it it grew again, so don't think this is only infection of the immunocompromised host, but in immunocompetent host, the presentation is very much similar to the mycobacterium. Ironically, this, this is also sensitive to the anti tuberculosis medication as well. So, uh, then, then obviously, uh, uh, we began Bancor, rifampin and erythromycin, this is medication of choice. Banco, so this is gram positive, so you can see the banco here, you can see erythromycin, which is also good for gram positives, and you can see the pampin, which is also good for everything, including the mycobacteria, obviously, and then left hospital against medical advice and then represented to the clinic a month later with worsening fever, hemoptysis, and again blood culture grew or equi. so Cavitation in the lung, think of the redoxic one. Three diseases has been described in HIV positive people. Cavitation of the lung without bacteremia, cavitation of the lung with bacteremia, and bacteremia alone. So, three scenarios in this group. Alison. Do you need exposure to PARM? Basically, you know, in the sense of the articles that I at least I reviewed, no. Overwhelming majority of them, they recall visiting the farm But (coughs) not necessary But obviously, epidemiological clue is going to be exposure to the horses But not necessary So, TM is a 28-year-old man With previous episodes of pneumocystosis, PJP or PCP Presents with low grades of fever, abdominal pain and weight loss (coughs) Then had gallium-57 scan that showed extensive uptake in the abdomen, suggestive of the lymphoma. So, you know the patient is very, very immunocompromised host. Why do we believe this patient is very immunocompromised host? Because of the history of the pneumocystosis. So if the patient is presenting with pneumocystosis, you know the CD4 cell previously has been less than 200, very immunocompromised host. Now presented with low grade of fever, abdominal pain and weight loss. All suggestive of lymphoma, because you remember all kinds of lymphoma are more frequently seen in the people with HIV. From Hodgkin lymphoma, to Burkitt lymphoma, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, all of them are frequently seen in the people with HIV. The lower is the CD4 cell, the patient is going to be better candidates for unusual lymphomas. Hodgkin's lymphoma may happen when the CD4 cell is 600. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma may happen when the CD4 cell is 300. Birkett's lymphoma may happen when the CD4 cell is about 50. So, a typical lymphomas would occur more frequently when the CD4 cell is low. So obviously the patient has substantial lymph nodes in the abdomen. That's all that we know. Differential diagnosis, significant lymph nodes in the abdomen of the patient with HIV. Alison? TB. Oh, okay. Here. Sure, tuberculosis will come up. I think majority of these cases, in a matter of fact, you are from this part of the world. These are one of us teaching in uh, in Infectious Disease Clinic, okay? So TB, yeah. uh, yeah. any other bugs, big lymph nodes in the abdomen. The BBB, I'm the sorry. Uh, Amazingly, HDLV is giving you more of the peripheral adenopathy than central adenopathy. Yeah. Mycobacterium avium intracellulari, mycobacterium avium intracellulari. Okay. And... Uh, so this is basically the scan and all of these big, big, big dots here all over means significantly And adenopathy and then referred to surgeon uh, because of the intra pain and he was the for laparotomy uh, to get a specific uh, diagnosis and this is the specimen. So all of the mesenteric lymph nodes were massive. They were very, very big and then when they did the biopsy what do you see? Somebody can not really see this one or you can't, st- uh, no, don't read. I covered this one. <laughs> 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 this is the mycobacterium avium* cellulari. You see every cell for each cell, each human cell you probably see about 20-25 of the mycobacterium. Mycobacterium avium intracellular in human is not a pathogen. Invades but does not destroy, leaves but doesn't kill. So it's in harmony with the human cells. But then finally, there is competition between the mammalian cells and *Mycobacterium avium about the nutritions. and the final winner is *Mycobacterium avium So the human body decays apart. Not the *Mycobacterium avium physiologically is doing to the cells. It's just the fact consumes all of the oxygen, consumes all of the foods. And then you can see there was one study that I remember many many years ago when they mass basically weighed the, the mass of the Mycobacterium avium intracellulari and the human cells at the time of the death. Mycobacterium avium intracellulari was heavier, and that's the reason all of the blood, bone marrow, lymph node, you mentioned, lung. Is practically speaking packed with the mycobacterium and then you can imagine what would happen so mycobacterium avium intracellularine you drink it every single day just it is in, in the water though some parts of the country some parts of the world water has more <laughs> mycobacterium you swallow every single thing so i'm trying to add to the list <laughs> <Rotavirus>. <laughs> Champylo, and this is another one. (laughs) And then it just transits itself through the GI system. If the body has good immunity, mycobacterium cannot really find any niche to start holding on that. But then, if the CD4 cell drops and drops maybe below 200, below 150, then mycobacterium avium intracellular can colonize. And when the CD4 cell is below 50, then mycobacterium can get into the submucosa and then proliferates. And wherever the food goes, mycobacterium avium intracellulari also follows the food chain. So what do you think, where the food goes? In the submucosa of the intestine, it goes to the lymphatic channel and goes to the portal system. And it goes also to the portal system. From portal system goes to the liver, and then through the lymphatic system, goes through the, you know, intra-abdominal lymphatic system, then to the thoracic chain, and then finally gets into the lung. So, then Mycobacterium in the porta system goes to the liver, the liver becomes very big. And then from liver gets into the hepatic vein, from hepatic vein to inferior cava, from inferior cava to the lung, lymphadenopathy. All of the lung is going to be engorged by Mycobacterium ileum intracellular. For many years, we didn't know if *Mycobacterium avium intracellulari is only caused morbidity or it causes mortality. To my best knowledge, the best positive study about the mortality proved that probably is cutting three months to four months of the life of a patient with AIDS. So, not a big contributor to the death, but because it invades the, the liver, you have the abdominal pain, Alkaline phosphatase is very high, and because it is in the bone marrow, the bone marrow is completely knocked down and they become anemic and they need blood transfusion. For many years we knew that if somebody has Mycobacterium aviometracellulari, if you treat the Mycobacterium avium aviometracellulari, the requirement for blood transfusion is going to be less because the bone marrow is practically speaking packed with the mycobacterium. So this is the classic example, the whole lymphatic system of the body, of the abdomen particularly, is completely clogged with the mycobacterium cellularity. They may have diarrhea, and if they have diarrhea covered, why they have diarrhea? Because it's in the entire gut, so the absorption is... Exactly, exactly. There is no any absorption, more absorption. Is one of the major consequences of the people being mycobacterium, avium, intracellular. Okay. Question: The following infections are more common in HIV-infected patients. A. Sorry. Sorry. Going back to the, the yes. mycobacterium avium. So, what would raise at- the red flag to suspect this patient may C D4 less than 50 right upper quadrant pain and tenderness, hepatomegaly, high level of alkaline phosphatase, fever, and pancytopenia These are pathology of the mycobacterium avion intracellular. pathology, five things. FUO, then right upper quadrant pain and tenderness because of engorged liver, high level of alkaline phosphatase, but bilirubin is fine. SGOT, Sgpt is fine because, as I said, there is no any injury with hepatocytes. So enzymes are perfectly fine. Pancytopenia because of the bone marrow invasion by the mycobacterium, and finally, what was the fever. I mentioned the Yeah. Okay. So the following infections are more common in HIV infected patients: pneumococcal pneumonia, Salmonella bacteremia. Bacillary angiomatosis, meningococcal meningitis, one, two, three, all of the above. All okay. right. All of the above, yes. Every single infection in people with HIV is more common. Not only just two-fourths more common, we are talking about 50, 100 times more common in people with HIV. It doesn't matter what germ you mention. If somebody asks you, okay, do you think and rigidities would happen more frequently in people with HIV, say yes. Somebody says, okay, you <laughs> think hemophilus influenzae, what can we say, yes. I think sometimes we were thinking listeria monocytogenes is less common, but then we proved, you know, the literature proved to us, even the people with HIV, they are more prone to the listeria monocytogenes. But I would go sometimes over the history of the listeria monocytogenes. But for now, everybody is aware of the pneumococcal pneumonia based on some mathematical modules you look at the predicted SREP pneumonia in your community and then look at the observed SREP pneumonia in your community the difference between that you can calculate the incidence and prevalence of HIV in your community so, whatsoever is the difference between the observed and expected is related to HIV. So, HIV has increased the prevalence and the incidence of a pneumonia in any community that HIV exists in that community. Salmonella, in children, somebody comes down to salmonella, that's AIDS-defining entity. Repeated salmonella infection in children is one of the AIDS defining diseases. In Uganda, during the rainy season, you have more salmonella infection with AIDS, you know, in AIDS, and during dry season, a is more than salmonella. Right now, anytime I make ground in infectious disease war, I would easily pick up three, four, five of the people with salmonella infection. Salmonella infection in people with HIV give you enteric fever. So when you say enteric fever, what do you think, what we mean by enteric fever? So the patient has fever and the patient has enteric manifestation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, constipation. If you combine fever with enteric pattern, we call it enteric fever. Salmonella typhosa or Salmonella group D is the dominant one, but there are so many other Salmonellas that would give you enteric fever in people with HIV. Bacillary angiomatosis, what is the bacillary angiomatosis? BA, bacillary angiomatosis. Uh, uh-huh, Bartonella Hanselian and Bartonella Kuntan. Very beautiful name, Bartonella. Yeah, so bacillary angiomatosis is in differential diagnosis of the Kaposi sarcoma so when you see Kaposi sarcoma, you have to immediately think of the Bartonella Ancelula or Bartonella Coin time. Anybody knows about Bartonella basiliforme? It was the last case, yes. From blue, no? Okay, so what? Proo, yes, you're right. So two people tell me a little Proo and Bartonella basiliforme. So it was sepsis called by this? Uh-huh. I think medical students they need to know about the Bartonella uh, possible formula. <laughs> <laughs> it proved it proved it proved there was a disease with two different uh, stages. One stage was characteristically patient present with boils all over the body One stage of the disease is characteristically present with massive hemolysis and sepsis So like malaria, in a matter of fact, you have massive disruption of the blood cell For many years, many of the people believe these are true diseases he, one of the medical students in Peru, who was uh, spending days and nights in the hospital, like few of you that would like to stay after nine o'clock and would not even as a courtesy give a call to your dad, he said <laughs> 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 <The sun>. <laughs> <laughs> That's it Okay, so then he was almost sure that these two stages are two different stages of one disease, like syphilis. You remember that for many years we didn't know a stage one and a stage two and a stage three of the syphilis are the same. We were thinking these are three different diseases. Then there was a group of the scientists from Europe that were coming to investigate this question. And these medical students, royalists, so pro, and, and he said, you know, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to get some of the pus from the boils of this patient, inject it to my own blood, and let's see what will happen. And then he could not really find anybody to do it. And finally, <laughs> he, he had a friend. You need to read, to review sometimes the history of the infectious diseases. They are amazing. And then he found a friend. Good friend. <laughs> and he didn't then know he pleaded, please do that. Because, you know, if this European group they come and they would get all of this credit unnecessarily, what you can do you can just please take a little pause. This is the pass injected into my vein. And he did. And he came down with the most severe septic form of the disease and he died. And then he proved. That these are the two different stages of the von disease. The gram. This is the bacillus, and this bacillus uh, sticks to the red cells. For many years, we were thinking is a bacillus because we didn't know it's the ricletia, the is the rickettsia, because rickettsia are intracellular microorganisms. So, is the Bacillus or this bacterial agent uh, sticks to the red cell membrane and then is going to hemolyze the red cells. So when somebody asks you okay give me a few example of the destruction of the red cells by a germ. So let us start from summit. Malaria. Malaria. Mike? That's not fair. No. Okay. <laughs> United the States, you're living in Lyme area? Yeah, like um, babiosca, Babesia, Babesia is, is erythro, intra-erytrosylic parasite. And the third one, a student, yes. uh, Ehrlichia, not the erythrocyte Ehrlichia is the white cell, white cells. But this is the red cells. Destruction of the red cells is the, is the, you know, Bartonella basili form. So Bartonella bacilliforme is the third microorganism that gives you destruction of the red cells. Okay, so now we come to trench fever. Trench fever is a vicaragia disease. And then there was suddenly in Seattle that a group of the un- you know, group of the alcoholics who didn't have any shelter, didn't have any home, they come down with trench fever. So suddenly, you know, almost maybe 10 or 15 years ago, we were dealing with trench fever among the alcoholics in the United States. Then, gradually we learned that the same germ that gives you trench fever gives you cat scratch fever scratch fever is in the cats then cats they have flea and then flea bites and then the cat scratches flea bites inject this germ cat scratches brings the red cells to the scene and the germ sticks to the red cells and then goes through the empathy system and then give you cat scratch fever so cat scratch fever is flea-borne disease is the catch disease almost i think something like 60 percent of the kittens in california who is from california okay okay <laughs> they have the uh the catch i'm sorry, they have this uh bartonella in their blood and then flees, leaves on them, become infected, and then jumps on you, and then you have a playful cats, and then basically scratches you, and then those two comes together and would give you cat scratch disease. Those are the immunocompetent hosts. So these are Bartonella diseases in immunocompetent hosts. But then, I remember, yes? Specifically the birds of the I'm sorry? Specifically that species? And I'm sorry. Hansel. Yes, Hansel, yeah. They're just generally no learn about the whole thing, then there are a couple of really, you know, different names, but all of them they belong. To... The same yeah, yeah, Hansel. Yeah. This is Hansel. Then yeah. I remember it was, I think, about 1987 or 8, and we had very interesting patients really at Yale uh, Infectious Disease Service. It was a young man. And this patient had far advanced AIDS. And patient was only on AZT, end of the 1980s. And then the patient came to the hospital with dropping hemoglobin. And then we were just amazingly looking to see why this patient is dropping hemoglobin. You know, came with hemoglobin of assumed 11. In 24 hours was 9. In 48 hours was 8. In a week was 5. So just hemoglobin was dropping and dropping and dropping and we were looking for the reason for the drop in the hemoglobin. No GI loss, no retropretoneal bleed, no hematuria, no hemoptysis, no hematemesis. And I remember there was one fantastic medical student on, on, on our service that now she's very prominent with the heme on at John Hopkins. One day she came to me and said, you know, every single day the spleen and the liver are bigger and bigger and bigger. So, patient's anemia was progressive and the liver and the spleen becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And we sent the patient for for the ultrasonography of the abdomen and the both liver and spleen, they were like Swiss cheese. Holes. Holes in both. That disease is called, later on we learn this is again from the same brichletchial disease, brichletchial agent, but we call it peliosis hepaticus. Peliosis means lake, lakes in spleen, lakes in liver. And then we learn about the bacillary angiomatosis. Bacillary angiomatosis also is the proliferation of the Capillary beds, very invasive. Sometimes you get really, for instance, the patient has a polyp on the hand, and then you look at the x ray, then you can see osteomyelitis at the site of the angiomatosis, bacillary angiomatosis. All of them they are from the same species Bartonella. Bartonella hand or Bartonella queen These are the two major species and both of them has been described in the people with HIV. So, in HIV, catharsis crash disease has three forms, three forms. Bacillary angiomatosis, teliosis hepaticus, and then finally is bacteremia. It's just basically pure bacteremia, with and without endocarpurase. This germ, like the human, herpes-8 has two major, two major compounds that they cause significant inflammation and they cause regeneration or neovascularization of the vessels so that's the reason that pathologically is absolutely like kaposi sarcoma. Kaposi sarcoma also has the same sort of the production of the cytokines that they work on the vessels and you have new vessels and then you have severe inflammation. I do not think any pathologist looking at these two pathological specimens if he is not looking for the germ can say which one is Kaposi and which one is the bacillary angiomatosis or peliosis. So when you have the new vessels then obviously these new vessels need to be filled with blood. And if you have so many of them in the liver or you have so many of them in the spleen then they cause lakes of the blood. So, just blood is going to be pooled in the spleen and it's going to be pooled in in the liver. And then you have tatoestylenomegaly and progressive anemia. This anemia is not destruction of the red cells. This anemia is only just sequestration of the red cells in the skin and in the liver. Okay, so then meningococcal meningitis, so all of them, and this is the major reason for why people with HRD are so susceptible to bacterial infection. And you can see here, if this is CD4 cells, CD4 cells needs to send signals to the B cells to be engaged with the right antigen. So, if the B cells cannot be matured to plasma cells, plasma cells cannot be produced physiologically functional functional immunoglobulins. But, because the B cell is constantly under the signal recognition, it's going to produce you physiologically non-functional immunoglobulins. Majority of the people with HIV, they have hypergamma globulinemia it is not monoclonal, it is polycolonal gamma battery. And that's the reason the set rate in this group is so high. So we check the set rate in the people with HIV, it's going to be 90, it's going to be 100, it's going to be 120. Why the set rate is so high? Because they have so much of the paraprotein on board, that multiple myeloma. But people with multiple myeloma, they have the monoclonal antibody. Here they have the polycolonal uh, antibody. So question the main underlying mechanism for increased risk of bacterial infections in HIV includes all of the following except poor humoral response related to diminished T cell health. Increased epidemiologic exposures e.g like enteric infections in gay men and poor cytotoxic response related to T cell and four is poor cytotoxic response related to the T cell so this is the the third one is the correct one So. This is the major reason why they are so susceptible to the different germs. Not really they are going to be exposed more commonly. They are exposed you know all of us we are exposed to salmonella when we are in, in this part of the world. But the people with HIV, they are coming more frequently with salmonella infection. The major reason is basically the T cells, the helper cells, that they need to, be to send the signals uh, to the B cells, and they are not doing that. Uh, job uh, adequately. So T cells, if it is physiologically functioning, on right time when the B cells need or when the B cells exposed to the right antigen, the signal come from T helper cells and will say, okay, this is the antigen that you need to produce this specific antibody. Because you remember, on the B cells, we have the immunoglobulins. We have the constant region. We have the variable regions and the variable regions that you are going to recognize the antigens you are expressed outside so you are not going to be constantly getting signal from the T cells you are going to get signals when they come close to a specific antigen so production of the immunoglobulin is intermittent and appropriate but if the CD4 cell is infected with HIV cd cells constantly sending signals but not appropriate signals so the B cells become crazy so they say, okay, there is no antigen around you, what shall I do? say, okay, you produce the immunoglobulin it's going to produce immunoglobulin but this immunoglobulin is not going to be specific for any antigen it is not because the B cell has come close to a specific antigen to produce the antibody just signal has come and order has received that you have to produce the immunoglobulin and it's going to produce immunoglobulin. That's the reason you have the polyclonal antibodies because of the signal recognition for production of different type of the immunoglobulins. Okay. So the B cell recognition is appropriate for the T cell response? No, it's the expansion of the B cells and secretion of antibody is not because of the facing or dealing with the antigen it's from the, from the order that from the CD4 cell comes okay a 32 year old man with a CD4 cell 120 and present with a small lesions of the forearm with no other symptoms what is diagnosis it's like a poly. Okay. this is the Polypoid sort of the lesion. You can see? That's the <laughs> classic bacillary angiomatosis. <laughs> <Good call. laughs> we thought this is Kaposis sarcoma, and then when we did the biopsy, it was red as Kaposis sarcoma, but when we request for silver staining, they saw the Bartonella. Bartonella is the uh, silver staining positive. Okay, so what do you think about this one? Come here, this is again, and this is really interesting. Let me show you, all of you. This is two months. So that was one, and this is basically went, and then came two months later on. You mm-hmm. can see you mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it, it looks like It yes. But two months, from that one single lesion into this four. Did you get treatment? Uh, the first time, as I said, we thought it was Kaposi's sarcoma. <laughs> <laughs> so we sent the patient home, but then we cross for the right stain and then it turned to be bacillary angiomatosis. So the difference practically speaking the Kaposi's sarcoma is the fact that growth is extremely rapid, rapid growth. OK, so biopsy showed Bartonella species by silver stain it was not really sarcoma. Okay, this is interesting patient. So let me read it and then I'll show you a slide because this is something that you may see. 35 year old HIV positive man, previous episode of PCP, complicated by recurrent current pneumothorax. You remember that pneumothorax is one of the complications of the pneumocystosis presents with 24-hour history of fever, cheeks, and cellulitis of the left ear. Okay. Two days before, he had been bitten on the ear by his pet. <laughs> okay, so what is that? I'm <laughs> oh, sorry? It's what? It was written salmonella. Yeah, it is salmonella. <laughs> salmonella. Please never forget, all of the reptiles, <laughs> you know, from almost every species of the animals is harboring very specific salmonella. So, today I was, a matter of fact, because many of you coming down very frequently with diarrhea, I was giving a <laughs> <laughs> talk to two of the people who were driving with me to the hospital. And I asked this question, do you know how many shigella bacillus uh, you need to ingest to come down the shigellus? Five hundred? About hundred. Huh? About hundred. About 100. 100. Experimentally, one or two. Is resistance to the acidity of the stomach and just what can establish disease when even exposed to one of them. One of them. And what about salmonella? Salmonella 10 power 6. If you have the acidity in your stomach. So, and what is the reason? What do you think the why? What is the major difference between shigella and salmonella? Salmon. Uh, yeah, so you know, uh-huh. <laughs> you're right. Shigella is very, very amazingly, you know. Amazingly invasive germ, but Shigella knows evolutionarily that, no, over the life of Shigella, the history of Shigella, he could not find any other reservoir except the human. So it's the pathogen, not a normal flora of the human body. So heat goes away, heat goes away. And then can go to the human, from human to the human, from human to the human. So that's the reason he needs to be extremely infectious. For salmonella, there are so many reservoirs in the in the in the nature: chickens, goats, cattle, you know, uh, snakes, rats. You mentioned mouse, cats, whatsoever you put your us. finger on, <laughs> there, is, there is a salmonella in the, in that, in that journal. You know even worms, they have salmonella? The... Huh? And uh, you have to really know about that. If you don't know that and you're living around the source of nine, too bad. What is the worm around source of Nile, was Nile? Schistos. Schistosoma, in a matter of fact, harmoniously lives with Salmonella. And people with Schistosoma frequently, they come with the Salmonella bacteremia. And the whole germ, got is covered by Salmonella. And you are aware of the salmonella cystitis in people with chisel or you are not. The people get the hematobium and then the, the worm grows around or leaves around the, around the bladder. They have hematuria and they may come down with cancer. You are also chronically carrier of the salmonella in the bladder. And you need only to remember that parasite has a parasite. And here is a classic example. Shigella, I'm oh, sorry, the shisto, which is a parasite of the human has been parasitized by salmonella. So, like the hepatitis B and D particle. This is exactly uh, the same. So, salmonellas, they have significant number of the, of the reservoirs in, 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 on the surface of the, of the earth. So, any questions before I just turn to some of the uh, points that I would like to make? So, let me ask you a few questions, those who have been listening to the lecture, okay. (laughs) Okay, so let me ask, uh, so, people with HIV, uh, they can, you know, when they come down with infection, like, assume they come down with the staph infection or a strep group A infection. They can easily confine the infection during actual phase, but they cannot really eradicate infection. I will give you a couple of examples. A strep pneumonia, for instance, which is very common in people with HIV, they, they can confine the infection, but then Four days, five days later on, the aspergillomycosis, aspergillomycosis would not be eradicated. So acute infection, the body has good defense, but three, four, five days later on, that the body needs to completely confine the infection, fades that body. What? When we come to the bacterial infection, not every bacterium, you know, extracellular bacteria, we are only dependent on this only depend on B cells. So T cells, helper cells, they are indirectly involved. So we need to focus on B cells. For instance, esrepneumonium is encapsulated microorganism. So we are totally dependent on the optionization. And by optionization, we mean that the germ needs to be covered by the right immunoglobulin. When you are covering the pneumonia, then it becomes very delicious dish for the white blood cells because white blood cells is not swimming, and when it comes to a fish which is very very slippery, cannot really capture the streptococci because it is encapsulated. It is very slippery, so white cells comes and try to capture it, but just it is very slippery, just can't really be captured. Then the body makes the antibody. Antibody covers streptococci covers the capsule and they become very very digestible and good easy hunt for the white blood cells. So it's that we call opsonization. So encapsulated microorganisms will depend on opsin. So everything opsanin is immunoglobulin so it's coming from the B cells. So so is it that like because you've got this really polyphenol all this going and off the ground. that like you got the what you need to get it initially but then your T cells no. aren't sending the message yes. to make more. Oh, okay, more, you're right. More here you need to define it. More here means that the B cell needs to understand that when it comes the plasma cells and plasma cells is producing first IgM, needs to shift the IgM to the IgG. That shift is completely paralyzed in HIV positive population. So they can secrete some uh, to some extent the IgM. To some extent. But the major flaw when they need to get the signal from the helper cells to shift the IgM to IgG, and remember IgG is doing actual IgG is doing the later phase, they cannot do that. So completely, you know, they can confine the infection for some time, but then the patient would come down again with the, with the infection. Many often here if you look at Milagro, many of the patients they have boils. They have really a strep I and mean, step infection of the of the skin. You cannot really eradicate uh, the infection. You just give them antibiotic as soon they they are coming back again uh, with the uh, with the uh, Uh, relapsing uh, infection. So, let me only review the bacillary angiomatosis because this is something that I think you need to remember because here we have so many of the papillosis of coma and amazingly the people here, you are aware of the bacillary angiomatosis. They know it very, very well. And based on discussion uh, with some of the HIV specialists, and they told me almost 2-3% of the Kaposi's sarcomas here they turn to become the bacillary angiomatosis. So, they need proof now. They need a biopsy and they do the silver staining and they have to be to prove that this is Kaposi's sarcoma before they treat the patient uh, as uh, such malignancy. So, caused by Bartonella hanselii and Bartonella quintana. okay. Bartonella hanselii cause cat scratch disease, Quintana cause trench fever and endocarditis. So already, so if you want to be more specific then, Hanseli gives you catharsis scratch disease, Cointana cause trench fever and endocarditis. Catenous lesions may resemble Kaposi's sarcoma and the germ can be visualized with a starry silver stain. And the culture is difficult, but is possible. And at AT8, we can do really the culture, this germ, and also the PCR is available. And the treatment is macrolide or the doxycycline. It's very easily responded to macrolides like claritromycin, erythromycin, or the uh, doxycycline. But you have to keep going. You have to keep the patient with really a long time, six months, one year of the antibiotic therapy. I ah, to prevent the relapse.